Nehemiah chapter number four this evening. Nehemiah chapter number four. I'm going to read the first six verses and then we'll have a word of prayer. Of course, continue to be praying for those that are uh, sick right now. Several of our church folks that are under the weather right now. And so let's be uh, praying for them that they would recover quickly and uh, join with us once again. Nehemiah four, I'll read the first six verses and then we'll pray. And then we'll get right into the message here tonight, and I hope it's a, a help to each one of us. Nehemiah 4, verse number 1 says, But it came to pass that when Samballot heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, or so built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful tonight for the privilege to be in your house. And Lord, of course, we do lift up before your throne uh, so many folks that normally are here that are uh, dealing with sickness right now. Pray that your hand of healing, Lord, would be upon each one of them. And, uh, Lord, I pray that they be able to return to their respective duties this week in a timely manner. Pray that you bless our time in the Word tonight. Help us to find encouragement and help uh, through the preaching and teaching of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been looking at Nehemiah one chapter at a time. And uh, if you remember chapter number one, we emphasized prayer. And how Nehemiah, uh, long before uh, putting together a plan to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, he got before God and said, Lord, we need you. We need help. And in chapter number two, we looked at the importance of preparation and uh, how God answered the prayer of Nehemiah. And when Nehemiah was asked how long he would be, what materials he needed for the job, uh, what paperwork he might have needed, what decrees and permission from the king, uh, Nehemiah was ready to give an answer to the king uh, with all those uh, pieces of information uh, that were required. And so we learned the importance of being prepared in our Christian life and what we do today for God. Uh, really affects what we can do long-term for God as we continue to be prepared. Then last Sunday, we looked at the importance of participation. And all we did was look at the different uh, gates around the old uh, city of Jerusalem that were rebuilt in Nehemiah 3. And uh, it was very encouraging to see how the chapter began and ended at the Sheep Gate. And we were reminded that everything begins and ends at the cross of Calvary, where the Lamb of God uh, offered himself for our sins and we just looked at each gate one by one and some of the uh, the pictures of what each of those gates would portray and uh, just some of the lessons that we learned there and, and of course we learned the importance of participation everybody got involved from the high priests and the spiritual leaders even down to just the general laborers all the men all the women everybody found some task that they could do to help rebuild the gates there in the city of Jerusalem. When we come to chapter 4, here tonight we're going to see that building requires 
persistence. And for the first time, really, in Nehemiah, we find a bit of pushback. We find a bit of opposition. We find a little bit of difficulty that they were going to encounter. And as a matter of fact, chapters 4, 5, and 6 all deal with pushback uh, from without, but even from within. And Nehemiah and those uh, builders needed to determine that they were going to be persistent in continuing the work of the Lord. And isn't that a reminder that we all need in the Christian life? We get pushback, maybe from family. We get pushback, maybe from coworkers. We get pushback from uh, neighbors, whoever it might be. We know that we are to persist, to persevere through that, and to continue living for God despite some of the pressures that we face. I like this quote. I don't know who said it first, but I found it in my study. It says, what matters most about pressure is not necessarily what it is, but where it lies. Nothing should ever come between us and our Lord. See, pressure is a normal part of life, and pressure is a normal part of the Christian life. But if we allow pressure and opposition to get between us and God, then the pressure becomes a real issue because it is now affecting our walk with God and our service for the Lord. And so here I want to simply uh, highlight three things that outline chapter number four, and we'll get a little bit of an application at the end. So first of all, we see some outward opposition. Outward opposition. We see this in verses one to nine. I already read verses one through six. And here we see uh, for the first time some pushback from some of these people when they saw what Nehemiah and those others were doing for the Lord. You see, anytime God's people step out by faith and they honor God, and anytime they step out by faith and they live for God, there's always going to be opposition. Paul assured Timothy, all who live godly shall suffer persecution. It's a sign that you are doing the right thing when you have this pushback because uh, the, 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 the enemy, the devil, does not like that we are going forward by faith for the Lord. I love 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 where Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, even after that we had suffered before, and were shamefully entreated, as ye know at Philippi. Remember when they were entreated at Philippi and they were put in jail for preaching the gospel? Paul goes on to say, Yet we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. And Paul said, even though we had a hard time, there was pushback, there was opposition at Philippi, we were determined to persist and to preach the gospel message to you, and of course, when you look at the result of that, many people were saved in Thessalonica. So here we see there is outward opposition, and it comes in two different forms. First of all, it comes through taunting or through mockery. You see at the end of verse number one, it says that they took indignation and mocked the Jews. They, they essentially asked questions like in verse number two, what are these guys doing? Are they going to fortify themselves? Are they going to offer a sacrifice and then boom, the walls are just going to be built on their own? Uh, what kind of nonsense is this that they are doing? Probably similar to the thoughts that those in maybe the city of Jericho had when they saw Israelites just marching around day after day. Right? You can keep walking, but you're not going to get through, you know, these walls. Or perhaps similar to the thoughts of Goliath when he saw a little shepherd boy come at him with a slingshot and some stones. What am I, a dog that you come at me with staves, Goliath said. And so God has interesting ways of working so that when the result is there, it is evident that it's not because of 
the Israelites, and it wasn't because of David necessarily, in both of those instances I gave you, God was the one who gave the great victory. God caused the walls of Jericho to come down flat, and God caused uh, the, the giant Goliath uh, to be defeated there uh, by, king, or by future King David, just Shepherd David at the time. And so here we see uh, that there was some mockery, some taunting that was taking place. And we see that Sam Ballot was really the one uh, that was the leader of this mockery. Now, anytime uh, we leave God out of the occasion, we will always be discouraged. And here we see that Sam Ballot was asking questions that may have had a little bit of truth there, but what he was not leaving into the details here was that God was working with them. Sam Ballot here was questioning them. And what they were doing, he was mocking, saying, you know, you're not going to be able to do very much. But Sambalat did not answer uh, perfectly accurate because he did not acknowledge anywhere in verse number two that God was at work. And here we see he is mocking, he is taunting, not just Nehemiah, but he is taunting all of these builders. You see, the mocking of God's people is nothing new. Read the story of Jesus in the New Testament. Was not Jesus mocked? <laughs> Is not this uh, uh, many times um, they, they questioned him many times they mocked him uh, religious leaders they mocked him the chief priests mocked him Herod mocked him the soldiers at Golgotha at Calvary they mocked him over and over Jesus was mocked how about the early church at Pentecost in Acts 2 verse 13 they accused the apostles of being drunk for the message that they were preaching these guys are full of sweet wine they said in Acts 2 13 and yet we see that even though they were mocked God's word was preached and many people came to Christ. Hebrews 11 tells us about some of those martyrs and some of those heroes of the faith who were mocked and how they went through cruel afflictions. Here we see in our text tonight that Sam Ballot and some of the others began to taunt and to mock not just Nehemiah, but ultimately they were mocking the Lord. Notice how Nehemiah responds in verse number four. He responds by praying. He says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. Then he goes on to say in verse 5, And cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee, not me, but thee, Lord, to anger before the builders. What an interesting prayer. Lord, wipe them out. <laughs> Lord, let them have it. In other words, Lord, you judge them. Lord, you intervene. Some of the Psalms uh, re uh, record for us similar prayers. Psalm 58.6, interesting prayer. It says, break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. Psalm 69.23, let their eyes be darkened that they see not. Make their loins continually to shake. Pour out thine indignation upon them and let thy wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents. Those are some interesting prayer requests. And maybe we can think of some people in our lives where we want to pray those types of prayers for them. But here Nehemiah is saying, Lord, you have called us to do something and I want you to make it clear to these people mocking that you are at work. So there was taunting, there was mockery. But then we see in verses 7 through 9, 
a second form of outward opposition. It was through threatening. Let's continue reading the story. Verse 7, it says, But it came to pass that when Samballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth or very angry and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. So now that the mocking didn't work, uh, didn't, did not work, sorry, they began to take it up a step. They began to threaten. Okay, if, if, if the taunting did not stop them from working, then let, let's attack them. Let's kill them. Let, let, let's surround the city and, and take them. And so in verse number eight, it says they conspired to come against Jerusalem, to come against them. For what purpose? Well, the end of verse eight says to hinder it, to hinder the work of the Lord. And once again, we see here uh, that the response of Nehemiah and the people was the right response. They prayed, Lord, what do we do? They've mocked us, but we continue to work, praise the Lord. But now they're threatening us. And if we die, well, the work, of course, cannot continue. So, Lord, what should we do? So there's this outward opposition through threatening. There's this outward opposition through taunting. But notice, secondly, tonight, there's also an inward frustration. An inward frustration. Because now the problems are getting a little closer to home. Look at verse number 10. The Bible says, and Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. So Sambal and Tobiah and those on the outside, they helped frustrate the workers. But now the problem's internal because it's Judah. Now, of course, Judah is long gone home to be with the Lord at this point. It's talking about the tribe of Judah. This was supposed to be the tribe that was supposed to be brave and courageous and mighty. Jesus came from this tribe, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And here's this tribe. Here's Judah saying, we can't do this. We're too weak. And so where, where does this inward frustration show itself? Well, in two ways. We see, first of all, here it's through fatigue. What's he saying? There's so much rubbish. There's so much, you know, waste. There's so much from... Uh, from the decay there's so much from the the former attacks from years ago when uh, Jerusalem was destroyed and there's just so much that needs to be done we are not able to build the wall he's saying we're just worn out you ever been there before I'm just worn out I'm tired of doing this and seeing no results I'm tired of telling this person this and seeing no results and when we get fatigued sometimes if we're not willing to persist then we miss out on the blessing that God has for us down the road. And so here we see that Judah and the, the people there in Jerusalem who were supposed to be trusting God began to become fatigued. And because of that, they became frustrated. You know, Satan likes to attack us when we're fatigued. That's what he did to Christ when he tempted him in the wilderness. When Jesus was at his weakest point physically after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible says that the tempter then came unto him. And so here we see that when we are fatigued, that we can be prone to being frustrated. But not only did it come through fatigue, it came through fear. It came through fear because in the back of their mind, they're thinking, well, what if the enemy does attack? <laughs> what if we are 
uh, under attack, then what happens? Look at verse 11. It says, and our adversaries said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, from all places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. As if verse 10 was not low enough. <laughs> they were fatigued, they were ready to quit. Now they think they're going to get killed. And that's why we sense the fear there, because in verse 12 it tells us that ten times they said, hey, we, we've got we to get home, we've got we to get back, we've got to put our tools down, and we've got to go back home and protect our families and protect our homes. Uh, we can't continue the work of the Lord because we are at risk through fear. We see the danger of the fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25 tells us the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso trusteth in the Lord shall be safe. 2 Timothy 1 teaches us that God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Of course, God was in this work. Go back to chapter 1. Nehemiah prayed about it. God gave him clear answer. Of course, God opened the door. He, he turned uh, the king's heart to say, what do you need for the project? Of course, God was behind them each step of the way. So why would God stop working at this point? And the fear began to, uh, to, to set in there amongst the people. And because of their fatigue, in addition to that, and of course, because of their fear, they became frustrated and were tempted to stop the work of the Lord. When we become fatigued in our Christian life and when we, when we have the fear of man, if we're not careful, then we stop doing the things that we know God wants us to be doing. So there's the outward opposition. They were mocked and they were threatened. There's the inward frustration. They were fatigued and they were fearful. But notice thirdly and finally tonight, the most important part of the chapter, there was upward meditation. Upward meditation. The first word of verse 13 really changes the rest of the chapter. It's the word therefore. When you see the word therefore in the Bible, it's usually meaning for this cause. So verses 1 to 12 tell us about the issues, outward issues, inward issues. So Nehemiah says, therefore, for this reason, he's saying, set I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible or awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. There are a number of things that Nehemiah could have done in this situation. He could have done nothing. All right, we've made it this far. It's the best we can do. Let's just see what happens. He could have done that, but he didn't. He could have panicked. Now what do we do? And he could have, you know, scrambled around and tried to find some sort of game plan. But he doesn't do that either. He could have doubted God, but he did not do that either. Nehemiah wisely and calmly trusted God. He said, God brought us this far. 
and he'll carry us through. He'll carry us through this mockery. He'll carry us through this taunting. He'll carry us through the fatigue. I know you're tired. I know it's been long days. I know there's a lot of rubbish still that needs to be cleared up, but God will carry us through. He'll give us the strength. He'll give us the grace that he promises to be sufficient for these situations. And here we see Nehemiah's skill as a leader as he continues to trust the Lord, but also encourage the people around him to trust in the Lord. So upward meditation. Notice two things here and we'll be done. First of all, there's upward meditation through remembering, through remembering. And it simply says in verse 14, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Nehemiah put things back into the proper perspective, didn't he? Hey, they're great, but God's greater. They're big, but God's bigger. They're strong, but God's stronger. Let's remember the Lord. He's the great Lord. He's the the awesome Lord. He's the one that uh, brought us back here into the promised land, who ended the captivity and allowed us a chance to go back home. He's the God that provided the timber and provided uh, the labor and provided all the things to get us this far in the project. Let's not forget the Lord now. Not only does he say, remember the Lord, but he he says, remember your priorities. And he says there, uh, remember your brethren and your sons and your daughters, your wives and your, your houses, not talking about the physical houses, but the, but the homes, the people under the roof of their own house. He says, remember them. Remember one generation ago why we got into that mess in the first place. It's because we did not remember God. And so let's remember uh, why we're fighting. We're fighting for our families. We're fighting for their future. It sounds like it's some scene out of a war movie, you know, but Nehemiah's got this great pep talk going on here. He's saying, let's remember God and let's remember that we're not fighting just for us. We're fighting for our families. We're fighting for the next generation. And let's stay faithful to the word and the will of God. Nehemiah had upward meditation just simply by remembering the Lord. And we would be wise on a regular basis to remember all that God has done for us. When we're fatigued and when we're fearful, just think back to your salvation. Just think back to all the blessings that God has given you along the way of your Christian life and take the time to remember him. I love the words of the old hymn, O soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness, you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. And the chorus goes on to say, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Nehemiah says, you know, there's a lot of enemies, but let's remember our God is greater than our opposition. Through remembering, and then finally, through remaining. And notice, it needs to be in that order, because if you try to remain without remembering who God is, you're going to run out of strength. But when we remember who God is, And then we choose to remain as we rely on him. He will give us the strength we need. Verse 15, it says, It came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows. And the Habergens and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens, with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, 
and with the other hand held a weapon. So you can picture it. They got their tool belt on. You know, the drill came off the one side of the pouch. They sold the hammer on the one side, but the sword was going in the other. And they were ready because the, threatens, uh, the threatening was still happening and the threats may have been very legit. And so they still need to be wise about it, but they still need to continue in the work that God had called them to do. So verse 18, for the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. So the one with the trumpet was near Nehemiah. And if he saw the incoming enemy, he would blow the trumpet for a call to battle. Verse 19, and I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, the work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us, and I love this, our God shall fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be a guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that every one put them off for washing. We get the picture here. They were all in on the work. But they were still aware that there was a possibility that there could be an attack. And they were wise about it. The sword and half the builders, you know, with a shield ready to defend. But at the same time, they weren't so fearful and fatigued where they just said, okay, let's just take a break from the work of God and get back to it. No, they determined to remain in the work of the Lord. And some of them were worried about the defending and some of them were worried about the building. Yet together, they accomplished the same goal in the end. The workers had a sword at their side and a trowel in their hands to get the work done. Ephesians 6 tells us in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So we're not fighting soldiers like Nehemiah was threatened with, but we're fighting a spiritual warfare. And that's why it's important that we have the trowel in one hand, building for the Lord, laboring for the Lord, but in the other hand, just as Nehemiah's uh, men had, we ought to have the sword. And what's the sword? It's the word of God, the sword of the spirit, the one weapon that God gives to us there in Ephesians 6 when he lists for us the armor of God. And so we ought to have that same attitude. We ought to be always ready, just like Nehemiah and they were. Be ready for a potential attack. Have the trowel. Be faithful to what God has called you to do. Have your sword. Be ready to combat the spiritual wickedness in high places. And when we face the opposition, whether it's from the outside or it's even internal, we have the sword, we have the weapon to help us to combat that area. And by the grace of God, we can persist and continue on in the work of the Lord. So what's Nehemiah 4 really about? It's about persistence. When you live for God, you're going to have opposition. It's just, it's just the nature of the game. But it's nothing new. It's been going on for thousands of years. 
And when we face the opposition, we have two options. We can stop serving or we can continue. And God would like us to do the second option, just like those in Nehemiah's day, that when the opposition came, they determined that we'll go back unto our work and stay faithful to which God has called us to do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful tonight for the lessons that we learn in Nehemiah chapter number four. And the importance of being persistent and persevering in the work of the Lord. And Father, I don't know maybe the, the, the details of everybody's lives here tonight, but you do. But Lord, no doubt there are people here tonight that might be going through various forms of opposition. But Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged through the word tonight, that they would be determined to persist, to press on, and to get back and, and to stay faithful in living for you. Even though those around us might oppose us or the message that we have or just the way that we live our everyday life, pray that we would be faithful, Father, that we would persist, that we'd have the trowel in one hand as we serve you, that we'd have the sword of the Spirit in the other, ready to combat those forms of attacks and opposition that we face so regularly in the Christian life. Lord, I pray that we would take encouragement in the verse from 1 John, which reminds us, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Pray that you would be with our church family tonight, Lord. Help us to persist and to be faithful to you, even in difficult times of the Christian life. We pray this in Jesus' name.